This is Reverend Kirk Lawton, minister at Ocean Lakes Family Campground, and this is our podcast. Our prayer is that this message may enrich your life as you find God especially meaningful to you. Thank you for worshiping with us. There's a legend, and remember it's just a legend now, that the devil had an auction of all his tools. He wanted to raise a little money. As he put his tools on display, he put a label on each tool, giving the name and the price he wanted for each. There was pride, jealousy, greed, lust, and many other tools which the devil uses to get into the hearts of people. But there was one strange-looking tool which did not have a label or a price. When somebody asked the devil about that one, he replied, Oh, that tool is not for sale. I could never part with that one. In fact, that is really the only tool I need, said Satan. I could give up all the rest, but with this tool, I can devastate any person on earth. No, that one is not for sale. What was the name of that chief tool of the devil? Satan said, if I can just get a person to be discouraged to where he will give up and quit, then I've got him. Discouragement is better than all the rest of my tools, said Satan. Just a legend, yes, but it has a lot of truth behind it. You feel discouraged about anything this morning? Perhaps the nearest and dearest thing in your life has gone from you. You're lonely. Your sorrow, your grief are real to you. You're about to the point of saying, I just don't think I can keep going sometimes. Or maybe that's something you're dreading that may be happening to you in the future. Maybe you're discouraged by loneliness. Oh, sure, you're around a lot of people, but that doesn't keep you from being lonely. Sometimes you feel that no one in all the world cares about you. It may be that you have financial problems. You've tried to figure out a way to make ends meet, but things are getting worse rather than better. You're about ready to say, I quit. I give up. That's your feeling. You're discouraged. Or maybe it's your marriage. You've tried and tried to get things going right, but it looks like your spouse does not want to try. You don't believe in divorce, ideally, but you're filled with anxiety and fears that your marriage is about to be shipwrecked. It's heading toward the rocks, and you don't seem to be able to do anything about it. You're quite discouraged about your marriage. For you, it may be a moral failure. It could be in the realm of sex or honesty or in some other way in which you know you're just as wrong as you can be. And yet you've tried to get out of the mess you're in, but nothing seems to work. So you're about to get completely discouraged, even to the point of not trying anymore. Discouragement, the devil's chief tool. This is what we're thinking about this morning. If we could read each other's hearts and know the inner feelings of the person sitting near us, we would probably find something which is extremely disturbing. Many of us would have to confess to being unhappy and defeated. 
Now I'm talking about Christian people too, not just those who are out in open rebellion against God. Many people who are discouraged and depressed would probably say that we're this way because of circumstances in which we find ourselves. We're convinced that our circumstances produce our anxiety, depression, and discouragement. If God would just step in and change our surroundings, change the problems we are faced with every day, then everything would be all right once again, we feel. But listen, although your circumstances may create anxiety, the thing that determines whether you remain in anxiety, depression, and discouragement is your attitude. The things that will lock you in to anxiety and depression and discouragement are things like self-pity, worry, and fear. These things, not circumstances, are the sources which perpetuate most of our problems. I want us now to turn to the scriptures, and I want us to see several examples of the way in which self-pity, rather than the circumstances, produces discouragement. First, let's look at Moses. In Numbers 11, verses 10 through 15, we read about a bad situation in which Moses found himself. I'm going to read this from the contemporary English version. Numbers 11. The Israelites stood around their tents complaining. Moses heard them and was upset that they had made the Lord angry. He prayed, I am your servant, Lord. So why are you doing this to me? What have I done to deserve this? You've made me responsible for all these people, but they're not my children. You told me to nurse them along and to carry them to the land you promised their ancestors. They keep whining for meat, but where can I get meat for them? This job is too much for me. How can I take care of all these people by myself? God, if this is the way you're going to treat me, just kill me now and end my miserable life. Well, <laughs> Moses was a preacher with a problem. From the moment he left Egypt, he heard nothing but complaints from his people. Nothing could please them. Finally, Moses had all he could take and he cried out to God, I am through with this. You can kill me now. Moses was clearly depressed. But his circumstances did not cause his depression. His attitude toward those circumstances caused it. And there is a big difference. Moses was indulging in self-pity, anger, bitterness. Instead of living by faith in God and leaving the results to God, Moses was thinking more about himself. He took his eyes off of God's power and he looked at his circumstances. Can't you just see Moses wallowing around in self-pity when he says, I can't carry this nation all by myself. Well, how arrogant. Who asked him to do that anyhow? Not God. You see, Moses had the wrong attitude. Okay, let's move on to another person. Look with me at the experience which Elijah had, as recorded in 1 Kings 19. I'm going to read the first four verses and then skip down to verses 9 and 10. Ahab told his wife Jezebel what Elijah had done and that he had killed the prophets. She sent a message to Elijah. 
you kill my prophets. Now I'm going to kill you. I pray that the gods will punish me even more severely if I don't do it by this time tomorrow. Elijah was afraid when he got her message, and he ran to the town of Beersheba in Judah. He left his servant there, then walked another whole day into the desert. Finally, he came to a large bush and sat down in its shade. He begged the Lord, I've had enough. Just let me die. I'm no better off than my ancestors. Then he lay down in the shade and fell asleep. Then over to verse 9. At last he reached Mount Sinai, the mountain of God, and he spent a night in a cave there. While Elijah was on Mount Sinai, the Lord asked, Elijah, why are you here? He answered, Lord God, all-powerful, I've always done my best to obey you, but your people have broken their solemn promise to you. They have torn down your altars and killed all your prophets except me, and now they're even trying to kill me. Well, that's the word from 1 Kings 19. After defeating those 450 prophets of Baal, Elijah encountered the wrath of a domineering woman. And he decided that Jezebel was greater and stronger than God. And as Elijah ran from Jezebel, he experienced deep anxiety and depression. He even told the Lord that he was the only one God had left. <laughs> and that's self-pity, isn't it? Verse 14. Of course, we know that was not true because we read in verse 18 that there were 7,000 men who also had refused to bow before Baal, the idol. But when a person is depressed, he can't see beyond himself. Locked in his self-pity, Elijah asked the Lord to take his life. I think the main thing we need to see here is that Elijah's depression was not caused by his particular circumstances. His problem was mainly his own wrong attitude of self-pity, anxiety, and fear. Okay, let's look at another Old Testament character who knew something about depression. This man, you know his name, Job. Let me read something in just a moment. Anyway, you, you remember, Job lost his children, his wealth, his health. His wife told him to curse God and die. And the last straw came when his friends told him that all his problems must have been caused by some sin he had refused to confess. And so in his desperation, Job cried out. This is from Job chapter 3. Finally, Job cursed the day of his birth by saying to God, Blot out the day of my birth and the night when my parents created a son. Why didn't I die at birth? Why was I accepted and allowed to nurse at my mother's breast? Now I would be at peace in the silent world below with kings and their advisors whose palaces lie in ruins. I would be with rulers once rich with silver and gold. I wish I had been born dead and then buried never to see the light of day. Well, that's a horrible attitude that Job expressed in chapter 3. Let's look at one more person from the Old Testament, the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah gave his life to the preaching of God's Word, but what he said fell on deaf ears. The people refused to listen to him. 
They mocked and ridiculed Jeremiah. Even the members of his own family plotted against him. Jeremiah's cry of woe was almost like Job's. Jeremiah cried out, and this is Jeremiah chapter 20. I'm reading from now. Jeremiah said, put a curse on the day I was born. Don't bless my mother. Put a curse on the man who told my father, good news, you have a son. He deserves to die for not killing me before I was born. Then my mother's body would have been my grave. Horrible words, weren't they? But that's what Jeremiah felt. Now Moses, Elijah, Job, and Jeremiah all faced very difficult circumstances. But the cause of their discouragement was their attitude toward their plight, not their circumstances. So where do we turn for the answer to discouragement? I believe it's right here in God's Word, the Bible. In the New Testament, we have an example of another man, the Apostle Paul, who endured many of the same things that others had faced before him. But Paul faced his trouble with a different spirit. Instead of allowing self-pity to breed despair and discouragement and depression, Paul knew the secret of dealing with circumstances. And I think the answer is found in verses such as 1 Thessalonians 5.18, which really is our text for this morning. These are the words. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Gratitude in everything, in every circumstance. Paul gives no conditions, no exceptions. We're told to be thankful to God no matter what may be the circumstances that surround us. It is the person who is willing to thank God in every circumstance of life who is able to defeat self-pity, who is able to overcome the power of the devil's chief tool, discouragement. Now, on the surface, this may seem impossible for you to do. I can just hear some people saying right now, but preacher, you don't know my circumstances. You're right. I may not know your circumstances, but if you give in to self-pity and despair and discouragement, I know what your attitude is. You may not be able to change your circumstances in life. They may be beyond your control, but your attitude toward the things that surround you is something that is in your control. In Acts chapter 16, Luke records that Paul and Silas were put in jail for preaching the gospel. All the evidence pointed to a quick execution. In the midst of those circumstances, Paul and Silas could well have been filled with self-pity. They had given their very lives to serve Christ, and now here they are in jail on the brink of execution. Can't you just imagine how it might have sounded if they had allowed themselves to indulge in self-pity, they might have said something like this. Now, Lord, we tried to obey you. You promised that you'd be with us. We did our best. We were faithful in preaching your word, but here we are in jail. We're about to be killed. God, it's just not fair. That's what they could have said. But no, instead of doubting the justice and mercy of God, Acts 16, verse 25 says, At midnight... Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises to God, and the prisoners heard them. 
Paul and Silas learned a truth that Moses, Elijah, Job, and Jeremiah never seemed to grasp, that the circumstances in our lives do not keep us in a state of discouragement. Our attitude locks us in. Since Paul believed that in all things God is working for good to those who love him, Paul could thank God in, in all things. He knew that God could bring good out of the worst situations, and he refused to drown in anxiety. Did you notice in that verse I read just a moment ago from Acts 16 that the prisoners who were in jail with Paul and Silas heard them praying and singing praises to God? Can you imagine the shock these other prisoners had? Surely they must have been impressed that these two men could be so positive, even in the midst of such terrible circumstances. Thanking God and having an attitude of gratitude in all circumstances will help not only you, but also people around you. God just may be wanting to help someone you know if you are willing to break your habit of self-pity and discouragement. Most people know the name Dr. Norman Vincent Peale. He was for many years a pastor of the Marble Collegiate Church in New York City when his book came out, The Power of Positive Thinking, many years ago. When that book hit the bestseller list, preachers and theologians all over the nation began criticizing Norman Vincent Peale. They picked his theology to pieces, saying that he had no gospel in his preaching. He was not a biblical preacher, they said. They pointed out his weaknesses and coined snide phrases about him, such as, Paul is appealing, but Peel is appalling. And he became so discouraged under all these attacks until he said, I was ready to quit preaching, and I wrote out my resignation. But the death of his father delayed his making a decision. His stepmother came to see him shortly after the funeral. He told her what he was planning to do. She bristled up and she said, Norman, let me tell you what your father said just before he died. He said, don't let that boy be upset by all those donkeys, actually he used another word, <laughs> who are jealous of him. I've heard him preach, said his dad. I know he believes the gospel. I know he preaches the gospel. He's just putting it down where everybody can understand it. He is doing it to help people. He must keep on preaching. And when she quoted Peel's father's statement, his stepmother then shook her finger in his face and said, young man, don't you do that now. You get back to preaching. And so he tore up his resignation and went on preaching. A prominent magazine publisher asked a number of people from all over the world what they wanted most. An architect wished for a garden and a greenhouse. A wealthy socialite wanted a pet zebra. Several other people were asked and they gave their answers. One thoughtful man replied, what do I want most? I would ask to be given a greater ability to appreciate all that I now have. Wow, that is the kind of God-given attitude that can defeat self-pity, discouragement, and depression. And God wants you to have that spirit. He comes to you today, right now, to offer His help to you in this way, at the very point of your problem, 
in the midst of your circumstances right now, whatever they may be. You may have been feeling quite low when you came to this service this morning or when you started listening to this sermon on podcast. With God's help, you can overcome your discouragement, your depression, as you make a conscious decision to turn your will and your life over to the care of God, then God will do His part in giving you the victory that you need so much. Oh God, help us, we pray, to take you at your word, to know that you are there and you're going to help us as we let you. Thank you, God, for your never-failing presence. We lean on you and we trust you. We offer ourselves in our prayer in the name of Jesus, your Son. Amen.